Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so delighted that you are with us today. 
If you are joining us online, a special welcome to you as well from wherever the Lord has you. We want to remind you we have online hosts who are available all throughout the service to answer any questions you have, to spend time in prayer with you, and just to help you feel connected to and engaged with this community. So I encourage you to use that chat feature to sign in, create a profile so we know that you are with us, and use that request prayer button if there's anything that one of our prayer hosts can come before the Lord with you to pray over this morning. Well, today is actually the first day in the season of Advent. And if you're not familiar with the word, the word Advent means arrival. It's the season in the Christian calendar when we prepare our hearts and our lives for Christmas, for the arrival of our King. We remember during this time the way Israel waited for the first arrival of the Messiah. We recognize the ways that we are waiting for God to move now in our hearts, in our lives today. And we await the second coming when Jesus Christ will return in glory. The light of the world, Jesus, came once, comes now, and is coming again. And that is what Advent is about. It is the time of patient and watchful anticipation for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Advent is a season both of grief and of gratitude, of silence and of celebration. Each week, we will light one of the candles on our Advent wreath. As we journey together through the darkest nights of the year, each week the light will grow gradually brighter as we move towards Christmas Eve when we will light the center candle, the Christ candle. Jesus Messiah, the light of the world, has come and is coming again. Thank you for being with us this morning. I'd love to invite you now to stand in body or in spirit as you are able for our call to worship today. This comes from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Let's lift our voices and worship together this morning to the light of the world. Born a child, 
free from our fears and sins release us let us find ourselves in need Israel's strength and consolation hope of all the earth thou art dear desire of every nation joy of
The light of the world came once, comes now, and is coming again. Today on the first Sunday of Advent, we will light the prophet's candle. Before Jesus came, God's people waited for hundreds of years for the promised king. And during that long time of waiting, the prophets were the ones proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. Today we read in the words of the prophet Isaiah as he declares hope to the people of God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The people will walk in darkness, have seen a great light. And those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them as a light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord's of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love so that we might be obedient. Thanks be to God. day. 
before the Lord together in prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we enter this season of Advent, we remember, we remember with your people what it was like to wait for you. This promise that the King would come, that he would establish his kingdom, that he would make everything right. And Israel waited and waited and waited. And we remember with them the promise that would be fulfilled in Christ. God, your timing's not always the way we would choose it to be. And so we wait. We wait for a lot longer than we would like to sometimes. Each of us has something we're waiting on. We're waiting on you to move. We're waiting on you to speak. We're waiting on you to heal. We thank you that in Christ we see the perfect example of your promise fulfilled. And so we know and we have faith, we have confidence that you will continue to fulfill your promises. Father, I lift up each heart in this room. I lift up those for whom this holiday season will be heavier than they've known before. For those who are carrying grief or anxiety or depression into this season. And Holy Spirit, right now, will you just take the pressure off anyone who's feeling like they have to have it together? Or they have to come in with their happy church face on because it's Christmas time now. No, we are invited to come as we are, even in the waiting, even in the parts of our story that don't feel like they're complete yet. Will you encourage each heart today with whatever they are facing, that you are with them in their waiting? You are God with us, Emmanuel. Father, we we depend on you. so completely and utterly even to breathe another breath and so we rely on you now holy spirit to come open our eyes that we might see clearly open our ears so that we can hear soften our hearts so that we might be receptive to what you have for us and your good your perfect word this morning father all of this is for you in the matchless name of Christ, our King, Emmanuel, that we pray. Amen.
Well, hello, everyone. Um, welcome. Um, I'm excited for this morning. Um, this morning, uh, we're, we're starting Advent. We also have a baptism this morning. So in a moment, and by the way, sorry over there, the baptism was last minute. So we, we see you over there. So um, uh, we have a young man here who I'm really excited for you to meet. His name's Alex, um, and he's excited to get baptized. But before he comes out and shares his story, um, we want to tell you what we believe about baptism here at Springbrook. Um, we believe baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith commitment. So when you become a believer, that's you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that we're promised that you will be saved. It's, it's a sign that, that you have become a believer when you do that. It's an inward thing. It's between you and God. And, and when we do baptism, we are celebrating publicly the inward decision that has been made. Um, and so today, Alex is going to come out. He's going to tell you his story, and then we're going to baptize him. So, Go ahead. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Walter. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family where my father, brother, and grandparents and I would go almost every Sunday to our church just a few steps away from my grandparents' house. I went to church every Sunday since it was just what we did. Looking back, I felt like I was doing my job with God just by going to church. But in my own time, I was pursuing my own selfish and sinful desires. This continued until I met my now fiancé, Jess, and after knowing her for a short while, she asked me if I knew God. Well, of course I knew God, right? I went to church every Sunday and grew up with him all my life. That was all shattered when she asked me what the gospel was. I had no idea. Realizing I never actually read the Bible, she encouraged me to read the book of John. After many frustrating conversations clashing against my previous beliefs, I realized I didn't know God. This made me go to church, small groups, and even retreats, and I began truly learning what it is mean to be a Christ follower. I truly believe God led me to Jess as a way to show me what I was missing from him. Forming an intimate relationship by, with God by making him the leader of my life has shown me happiness with him and continually grows me and refines me as a true Christian. And without him, I am and have nothing. In December of 2018, I accepted God into my life, and today I'm going to get baptized. Thank you. You good? <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, it is a joy to be able to do this with you. Um, Alex, do you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins and rose again? I do. All right. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't it great to be able to celebrate stories of life change? I'm thankful for the reminder that we have whenever we celebrate baptism of the fact that God is on the move, that the gospel is still changing lives today, that God is setting people free and calling people to himself. Would you join me in prayer as we prepare to open God's word together this morning? Father, we do thank you that you are a living and active God, that you are at work accomplishing your good and glorious purposes. 
We thank you especially for life change and this celebration of baptism today. And ask, Lord, that you would continue even in this place to call people to yourself, that those who are walking in darkness might come to see and to know the light of Christ. Now, Lord, as we prepare to open your word together this morning, would you speak that we might hear? And would you move in us by your spirit that we might be changed? For your honor and your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it always feels a little bit strange as we cross over on the calendar into Advent to still talk about Thanksgiving, but of course it was only a couple of days ago that we celebrated Thanksgiving Day. And I would imagine that over these past few days, many of us have been eating leftovers. Uh, That's one of the things. Some of us love the fact that we get to eat leftovers from Thanksgiving Day for several days afterwards. Some are sick of turkey already and you have run out of recipes and things to do with your turkey. Uh, But most of us are probably at the point where pretty much now the the leftovers are finished up. But, you know, even while the food from Thanksgiving tends to linger for at least a few days after the day, it's interesting that the actual practice of Thanksgiving often doesn't last so long. In fact, it kind of gets put away with the best china at the end of the day, not to be taken out again until next November. So last week in our time together, we spent a little bit of time uh, in the pages of Scripture in the book of Colossians in the New Testament, and we examined together what we called the basis for Thanksgiving. And what we discovered was that the 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 true basis for thanksgiving is the mercy and grace of God toward us through Christ. And in fact, we we could say that as you move through the pages of the New Testament, there is a sense in which the practice of giving thanks or of thanksgiving is a hallmark or a characteristic of the Christian life. But how do we engage in it on an ongoing basis? And, and specifically this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about what are some of the benefits of thanksgiving? What are some of the benefits of a heart and life of gratitude? Well, if you spend a little bit of time doing even a quick search online, you will come up with all sorts of lists of benefits, kind of like this one from uh, a a, a psychology website where they have seven different benefits of giving thanks or of of gratitude in a person's life. And there's all sorts of things on that list, and you can probably guess what some of them are. But, you know, while, while it's good to consider some of the benefits of, of, of gratitude and psychologists say things like better sleep and better relationships and less stress and anxiety and these things that are on the screen behind me, uh, you 
can come up with a long list of these things. And these are good, better increased mental strength and self-esteem. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we don't just want to be aware of and think about some of the psychological uh, benefits of thanksgiving. We need to recognize that if, if gratitude, if a life of thanksgiving is really, in a sense, a characteristic of the transformed Christian life, then we want to understand what that, that, that mercy and grace of God, which is the basis of our thanksgiving, produces in the life of the follower of Christ. And so again, I want to invite you to grab a hold of your Bibles and join me this morning in the New Testament letter of Colossians. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit different in that we're going to look at a couple of different passages in Colossians which speak to thanksgiving. I suggested last week that giving thanks or thanksgiving is, is something of a theme that is recurring within the book of Colossians. We looked at the prayer in Colossians chapter 1 last week, and now I want to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, where we read these words. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We'll stop there briefly. And what we see here in this passage is the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is addressing the believers there in this ancient city, is that thankfulness leads to a rooted stability. Thankfulness leads to a rooted stability. You see, there was a problem there in the church in that city all those years ago, and that is that having begun in Christ, having received the gospel of Jesus Christ, there were some who were coming into the church who were seeking to disturb things. And as they were seeking to disturb things, they were seeking to do it in a way in which they were saying, okay, it's great that you've trusted Christ for salvation now. Oh, 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 but you know what? There's all of these other things that you can add to that and go deeper. And in a few verses before where I started reading, Paul addresses them and he says, I'm writing these things in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And here, in what I just read a moment ago, he gives a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive by, uh, to philosophy and empty deceit. And so he warns them of the importance of being grounded in their faith. And he connects this groundedness with thanksgiving. In fact, we see a few interesting words here. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. We talked about this idea of walking last week and it being a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, uh, a day-by-day in an intentional and deliberate direction, or in other words, the characterization of every part of your life. He says, so walk in Him. But then he goes on to say, rooted and built up in Him and established in 
the faith. And so we see this interesting picture here because when we think of roots, we tend to think of a tree. And so this idea is, is, is of a tree that has deep roots. And a tree that has deep roots is receiving nourishment, is receiving all the minerals and, 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 and the nourishment that it needs to grow strong. But more than that, deep roots speak of stability. They speak of something which is not easily moved. If a tree has deep roots, then when the storm comes, it is not blown over because it is anchored. But it's not just a matter of being rooted. He says that you should be rooted and also built up in him. So the picture that he uses is not only putting down deep roots, but also growing up wide and tall and, 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 and this seeing this, this growth, this, this development. Because within the Christian life, we need to be grounded on truth. We need to be built up and growing. And then he uses another word, and established in the faith. And so he uses these three pictures, rooted, built up, established, to speak of something that is stable, something that is firm, something that is secure, something that is immovable. And he says, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, it may seem a little bit uh, strange to add this idea of thanksgiving in there, but, but he's actually talking about the, uh, the fact that one of the ways in which we get grounded in this manner is through what we might call the discipline of gratitude or the discipline of thanksgiving. And so when we say thankfulness leads to a rooted stability, we need to recognize that thanksgiving refocuses us on truth and it stabilizes us with contentment. It refocuses us on truth because when we give thanks, we remember that which is true. We reorient our gaze again to, to look at not necessarily the situation that is immediately in front of us, but on the greater reality of things, as we talked about last week, the mercy and grace of God towards us, experienced in so many different ways. It takes us back to, to, if you like, the big picture. And it leads us to this place of stabilization through contentment. Now, in a wonderful old book, uh, a, a Puritan author, Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, addressed this topic of Christian contentment in a book. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And, and hundreds of years ago now, some 400 years ago, he talked about the fact that sadly, contentment is something which is lacking in the lives of most Christians in his day. Now, I think that we could also say that same thing about most Christians today. Contentment is not a value that people like to talk about very much. Just look at the whole premise of Black Friday. The, the whole day is based on a lack of contentment. It tells you, you need stuff because that thing that you don't really need, but we're telling you that you need, is on sale. And you can save money by spending more money than you planned. But he, in that book, speaks about the fact that Christian contentment 
is that sweet, inward, quiet, that gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. And I love this quote uh, from Burroughs because he, he talks about this, 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 quiet, this inward quiet. And he talks about this free submission and delight or thankfulness to God. Why? Because of his wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, he's saying it recognizes the fact that God lovingly and wisely gives us and permits us what, is, what he chooses and withholds from us that which it is wise to withhold. In other words, there is a place of quiet, a place of confidence, a place of satisfaction when we can recognize that whatever we may have or whatever we may feel that we lack, whatever circumstance we may be going through, that our good, kind, generous, and merciful Father has wisely permitted it. And so we see here this idea of a rooted stability that comes from thankfulness, but we also recognize that it is a dangerous thing, and this is what Paul is warning them about. It is a dangerous thing when we lack gratitude. It's a dangerous thing when we forget thankfulness, when we have a lack of contentment, because the danger is that we may, as he talks about here, begin to be deluded or led astray or taken captive by things. And in fact, I would suggest that we're in danger when we lack gratitude and contentment. We're in danger, first, of distraction from what is important. You see, there are many people who engage in all sorts of, and they're constantly kind of like, uh, like that dog that is, is, is chasing its own tail. Or, 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 or that, that person who seems to not be able to focus on anything for a moment because the next thing that comes along, they're constantly looking to. There is a distraction. There is an unsettledness. And one of the dangers of a lack of thankfulness, a lack of contentment in our life, is that there are many people who are constantly looking for the next thing. And even when they get the next thing, they find that that doesn't necessarily really satisfy the craving that they had before, so they just have to look for the next thing. There's nothing wrong with, with, with having different jobs throughout uh, our, our working life. But it's becoming a trend for people to stick in a position for a very short period of time and to constantly be chasing the next job over here and the next job over here and the next one over here. And yet there is lower sense of satisfaction, a lower sense of meaning of purpose amongst people in our culture than ever before. And I would suggest that some of that is because there is a lack of contentment, a sense that the grass must surely be greener over there only to find that it's not. One of the dangers in the Christian life is the fact that God has made abundantly clear what it is to live for Him, 
to walk in his ways, to honor him, to stay steadfast in his ways. And yet we live in a world that is constantly seeking to distract us to death, to keep us so occupied with lesser things, with feeling like we should be chasing after the next thing, with entertaining us, that we find ourselves distracted. But gratitude and a sense of contentment roots us. It allows us to enjoy what is in front of us rather than always be looking to what may be next. There's also the danger of distortion. Distortion is, uh, is, is really when we begin to to consider, well, maybe God is, maybe God's withholding something good from me. He's holding out on me. Or, or uh, maybe uh, uh, there's got to be something more that can make me uh, complete or happy or, or satisfied. And one of the dangers that they were ch- facing in the church there in Colossae was that people, uh, that false teachers were coming in and they were saying, oh yeah, it's great that you're a follower of Christ. It's great that you trust. Oh, oh uh, but, but, but now, now you've got to learn the secrets. And they began to go into things like angel worship and they began to go into all of these different mystical ideas, adding stuff and distorting truth. One of the challenges that we have, again, in a world that is so full of messages constantly, is that it's very difficult to be content. It's very difficult to give thanks because we can easily find ourselves having a distorted view of just about everything. We have a distorted view when we find ourselves constantly comparing ourselves with others. Oh, that person has that. So for me to be successful, for me to measure up, for me to be important, I must have that too. I don't know if it's still quite as popular as it was, but uh, in recent years, HGTV has just been such a major focus of many people's lives. They love watching all of these houses and, you know, the, the, the rehabs and the, the, everything. One of the problems with watching HGTV is that you get home envy. You're never satisfied with what you actually have, and therefore, you have to go out and get something else. I'm sorry, I watch those things. I find them interesting at times, but people spending fifty and $60,000 on a kitchen? Seriously? Have you got nothing better to do with your money? $50,000 for one room in your house. Sorry if you spent that money on your kitchen recently. I'm sure you have a beautiful kitchen. But your value, your significance, your worth, your purpose is not about measuring up or having the show home from that. And there are, for different ones of us, we measure ourselves by different standards. Gratitude and contentment for what we have roots us. Doesn't mean that there aren't times that we get other things, but I want to encourage you to be somebody who compares yourself with those maybe who have less rather than constantly trying to keep up with those who have more because I think you'll find a greater sense of thankfulness. And the real problem here for the church in, Col- in Colossae was that they, it also led to the danger of deception. 
He, he says here, see to it that no one takes you captive according to philosophy and empty deceit and not according to Christ. They were literally being uh, dragged away as prisoners of war. That's the picture that Paul is using there because their lack of gratitude, their lack of sense of contentment, their lack of satisfaction in the things that God gave, not because the things that God gave are insufficient, but because of the distraction and distortion became a deception for some of them and they were in a dangerous place place. So how do, we, how do we guard against this? How do, we, how do we practice gratitude and contentment? Very briefly, because we've still got a couple of other benefits I, I want to look at quickly, but briefly, we, first of all, we have to slow down and take time to recount and remember God's mercies. We talked about uh, God's mercies and His grace as being the basis for Thanksgiving last week. But sometimes we've just got we, we to slow down. Because we're so busy, because we're so rushed, because we're so distracted by other things, we don't always stop. And so when we slow down and reflect, then we can recount and remember. Actually, remember is an important word in Scripture. Remember. Remember how the Lord led you out. Remember how the Lord showed you mercy. Remember the forgiveness of the Lord. We're to remember and to recount to ourselves the good things that we have because of the mercy and grace of God and give Him thanks. But it takes slowing down. When we're running, we're always focused on what we don't have and what we're chasing. When we slow down, we're able to focus on what we do have and give thanks. Biblically, we're encouraged over and over again to mark significant moments and to celebrate them. It's one of the significant things about baptism is we stop and we celebrate together. We're reminded that God is changing lives through the power of Jesus Christ. There are times in our lives, in our families, where God shows up in, 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 in an answer to prayer. There are times where maybe as new year approaches, we reflect on the year that's passed and we're able to think about things that God has done. Through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we sometimes see the people setting up stones of remembrance. And that is that they do something to mark the faithfulness and the goodness of God so that at different times they can come back and they can see that and they can be reminded of it. Whether it be the celebration of a birthday, whether it be sitting down as a family on Thanksgiving Day and reflecting on the year that's passed in our home, we print out all of the photographs we've taken for the previous year and we just sit around and put them in photo albums. It's fun to look back, but also to remember how God has showed up in the events of that year. But again, it takes slowing down in order to mark those significant moments. We need to keep a, a discontent, uh, our discontent in check. That means that when we find ourselves uh, uh, trying to chase after other things, when we find ourselves dissatisfied with what's in front of us, we need to take that back to God and say, God, I'm not sure why I'm feeling discontent over this. Is it a discontent that you are stirring in me? Because you have something more that you want me to step out in courageous faith into? Or is this a discontent that is coming about because I am lacking thankfulness for that which you have given me? And we need to take our desires to God and ask him to sift and align them to his desire for you. 
Scripture talks about the fact that God gives us the desires of our heart. But that doesn't always mean the desire that we first think is that desire. We need to sift our desires before God and say, God, I, I, I really desire this, but would you, would you show me, is that a pure desire? Is that a desire from you? Or is that a masking desire that I'm kind of borrowing from the world and the culture that I live in that, that, that is, is kind of hiding the true desire of my heart? Will you help me to see that, God? That I might be thankful for what you've given me. And that I might pursue your ways and find sweet satisfaction, that inward quiet and contentment in what you give. And so here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul uh, warns the believers, and it's a warning for us as well, is the importance of the fact that thankfulness leads to a rooted stability. And, and we want to be people who are rooted and stable. But thankfulness not only brings about this rooted stability, it also impacts the relationships with others in our lives. And if you flip the page in your Bible to the next chapter, to Colossians chapter 3, we see that again he's still talking about thankfulness. And, and, and here we, we discover in verses 12 through 15 that thankfulness leads to a gracious unity. Thankfulness leads to a gracious unity. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, put on compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And be thankful. And so one of the things that we see in the, in the book of Colossians is that thankfulness both leads to the benefit and the benefit leads us back to thankfulness. There's kind of this interchange as we, as we learn to practice the discipline of thankfulness. We get to experience the, these biblical benefits that we see here. And, and as, we, as we learn to, to walk in those benefits, it, it leads us to a greater sense, the sense of thankfulness. And here, this is a relational benefit that it leads to this gracious unity. Now, back in chapter 3, verse 1, there's a kind of an umbrella statement for everything that follows in the rest of the book. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, and then it lists a number of different things. And so, again, we see that this is part of the, 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 the hallmarks or the characteristics of the Christian life. If it's true that you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, having been raised with him, then these things are true. And he goes in that chapter, he talks about putting off sin. And then he comes to the verses I read, which talk about put on these other things. Instead, compassion and patience and graciousness, forgiving one another and bearing with one another. Because, you see, this is so important because the opposite of thankfulness that, that discontent that we spoke about a moment ago, it, it often it shows itself in a complaining and critical attitude, which is often harsh and impatient in its dealings with other people. Now, we all know that, right? I mean, when, when you're in a bad mood, everybody around you knows it. I mean, there's, there, there, there's that saying that, that you know, some people in their families use it, 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 if mama isn't happy, ain't nobody happy. 
we, we know what it is when we see someone and we say, oh, they got out of bed on the wrong side this morning. And, and, and we've, we've learned, many of us, that you give people in a bad mood kind of a wide berth because you don't want to get in their way. We see the opposite of contentment, the opposite of gratitude, the opposite of thankfulness often is exhibited in this complaining, critical spirit. And it decimates relationships. Because people don't want to be around people like that. Because, because people are, are, are critical. And when they're in a bad mood, they, they want everybody to feel it. And there's often a sting. There's often an impatience associated with that. But as Paul is writing here to the church all those years ago, as well as to us today, you see that as those who have now been raised to new life with Christ, we are no longer to live the way that we once did, but now we're to reflect the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God to others. And so thankfulness reminds us of God's compassion and His kindness to us. And, and that's why in those instructions there, it, it, it says things like forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Uh, that's why in verse 12 it says, then as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved, these things ought to be true of you because your new identity in Christ ought to be demonstrated through the way in which you engage with one another, and he brings together this in, in this idea of thankfulness. So thankfulness should remind us of God's compassion and kindness to us. When we take time to be thankful, it reminds us of the fact, it takes us back to the fact that God has been patient with us, that he has forgiven us in Christ. And the idea here is that as we are thankful, as we remember how God has shown such compassion and grace to us, how can we not extend those same things to others? And then we have this instruction that the, uh, let the peace of Christ, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. So in the context of relationships here, as we see that thankfulness leads to this, this, uh, 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 this relational, gracious unity, uh, we see this instruction that the peace of Christ is to, is to rule in us. Now, the word that Paul is using there is actually quite interesting. It's, it's the idea of an umpire. So imagine with me for a moment, I'm sure that if we went around the room, there are different people who love different sports, but as I was studying this, I was thinking about a tennis match. I'm not particularly a big tennis fan, but, but um, uh, you, you have the umpire who's up uh, on, the, on the elevated seat, but then you have people on each of the lines. And when the ball goes out, when it crosses the line, somebody shouts, out! And it's this idea that it's out of bounds. And so the umpire makes a decision, and that decision is what stands. He determines when things are out of bounds. Well, that's the same picture as is being used here. When it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's talking about the fact that, that, that there is a peace that we have in our fellowship with the Lord. 
And, and, and it, it, it quiets us. And in a relational setting, as we are seeking to be gracious and to reflect the character of God to those around us, there is a sense in which peace that Christ gives is to act as the umpire in our lives. So in, in our relational uh, uh, environment, in our connection with others, there are times where we have a conversation and we walk away and there's just something that leaves us unsettled. And what we often try to do is we try to push that down and ignore it. But what this is saying here is, no, no, wait a second. Let the peace that Christ gives be the umpire in your relationships. If you're lacking peace, if there's an unsettledness, then it means that something's out of bounds and it needs to be dealt with. He says, and be thankful. And so we, we, we can be thankful for the peace of Christ. We can be thankful for the fact that, that, that God gives us, as the Spirit of God prompts us, He leads us and directs us in our relationships, that when we are seeking to honor Him, when we are seeking to reflect Him to others, when we have a thankful attitude, and we keep on coming back to what He has done to us so that we can show it to others, then we can know that we are living a life that honors Him. And whenever we begin to stray out of bounds, the peace of Christ, that sense of settledness and quiet or unsettledness and conviction is going to keep us in that place where our relationships are unified by grace. So not only does thankfulness lead us to a rooted stability and to a, thankful, uh, to a gracious unity, but finally, thankfulness leads to a Christ-saturated perspective. If you look in the next verses, still in chapter 3, now in verse 16 and following, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. For those of you who are accounting, uh, he speaks about um, uh, giving thanks three times in three verses there. And we see that thankfulness leads to this Christ-saturated perspective as we allow Scripture, the Word of Christ, to dwell in our hearts. It will teach us, and as it teaches us, it will keep us walking in God's ways. As it teaches us and keeps us walking in His ways, it will also uh, be uh, something that we can then use to encourage others. And then according to what we read here, as Scripture teaches us, and as through us we encourage others, the result of that is a fruit of praise and thanksgiving to God. We keep on coming back because our mind, our heart is being filled with truth. Again, it's where we started this morning. God's Word, the, the Word of Christ, the Scriptures are so saturating our lives that they keep us mindful of His mercy and grace toward us. And, and we begin to share that and encourage others with it. And, and it produces this joyful thanksgiving. But then as we recognize that the Christian life in every part is to be lived 
in the presence of God as representatives of Christ, there is also a sense of joy and of thanksgiving because we recognize that everything about her life has meaning and purpose when done for the glory of God. And that's why here he's able to say, and whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, in other words, the things that you say, the things that you talk about, or the things that you actually are engaged in and do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A lot of people love this verse, and it's a wonderful verse, but we don't necessarily stop and think about what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus. Well, sometimes we're like, oh, well, you know, in the name of Jesus means, oh, you know, that, that we just say, oh, in the name of Jesus, I'm doing this. In the name of Jesus, I'm doing this. It's, it's not so much about that. It's the fact that in everything that we do, we do it as representatives of Jesus. See, we're called elsewhere in Scripture, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that we are ambassadors of Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes as a representative of their sending nation. And everything that that ambassador does is done in the name of the nation that they are representing. And, and, and so, as followers of Christ, he's saying, everything you do, whatever it is you're doing, Everything you say, whatever it is you're saying, do it all as representatives of Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. How is it that we can have a thankful attitude when we're doing that? How is it that that thankfulness leads to a Christ-saturated perspective in every part of our life? Because if we recognize that we're representatives of Jesus in everything, then we remember the truth because the word of Christ dwells in us that he never leaves us or forsakes us. That is that at all times and in all places, we live life before the face of God in the presence of God. That's reason to give thanks. More than that, at all times and in all places and in all situations, if we're representatives of Jesus, that means that there is purpose and meaning, whatever the circumstance, even in those circumstances we might not choose for ourselves, because we recognize that we are servants of God, and that He, the sovereign King, is permitting that situation and will use it for His glory. And so we are to seek to honor Him in the midst of it. So when you get up tomorrow morning, after hitting snooze for the fifth time, because you don't want to get up the Monday after Thanksgiving. And you go into work, and as you're driving there, and you're thinking, oh, what is the point? Remember, the point is that in every little thing you do, in every word that you say, in every place that you go, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you go as a representative of the living God. And therefore, there is significance in that. Thankfulness leads to a Christ-centered and Christ-saturated perspective that every part of life lived before Him is worth living. 
every part of life lived before him. It's lived for a purpose. Am I not always understanding that moment exactly what it is? But God is at work. And therefore, every part of life lived before him. We have a reason to give thanks in the knowledge that we engage in the things that we engage in as representatives of the living God, of the Savior of the world. And so, how do we deal with this? How do we respond in light of this? Confess. Some of us need to confess our complaints and our sense of discontent before God. We need to ask Him to give us eyes to recognize His grace and His presence and His purpose in every moment. Some of us need to make sure that we're beginning each day with a word of praise and thanksgiving to God. And, and, then, and, and not only to set the direction for our day, but to put some anchors, some markers in our day to keep us walking in thankfulness. Many of us probably uh, say grace or pray a little prayer before we eat a meal. That's great. And most of us eat three times a day. Some of you eat like 12 times a day, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, uh, but, but when we sit down to pray, uh, maybe before a meal, don't just say, oh, Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. And, and jump in. Use that as a marker. Just take a moment to slow down and to think, you know what? Here's some stuff I dealt with this morning that I didn't deal with very well. Lord, would you help me to be thankful even for that awkward conversation? Would you help me to see where I can praise you even for that thing that happened? And to remind ourselves to be a thankful people in the course of each moment. Because you see, thankfulness is a defining characteristic of the Christian life. And so, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And when you do, you will begin to learn the benefits of a rooted stability, a gracious unity, and a Christ-saturated perspective that leads to increased thanksgiving moment by moment and day by day. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank you that we do have cause for thanksgiving. But we also today confess to you that we are often a discontent people. A people who are quick to focus on the things that we think we lack. To compare ourselves with others even to complain or to criticize. Forgive us, O oh God. May we remember that every good and perfect gift comes from you and that you have indeed been good to us. And would you teach us to be so rooted in thanksgiving to you that we are stable, not led astray, that we are unified, not divisive, and that we remember that in everything, in every place, in every word, those of us who are in Christ have the privilege 
of being your ambassadors before a watching world. Lord, may we rejoice in this high and holy calling. And would you teach us more and more to rejoice with thanksgiving each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'd love to invite you now to stand one more time as you are able, as we respond together in song to this word that we have received this morning. shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace
may the grace of God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, be with you as you go from this place today. Go now in faith and with thanksgiving to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in him.